newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. This is the Media Project, your half hour of commentary where veteran journalists contend with an aging public media executive. No, no, that's not really what we do. I'm sorry. Sorry, Alan. Dr. Alan Chartok is here. Anything but sorry. <laughs> this... I thought you were speaking of yourself. Oh! <laughs> aging former editor. I'm Rex Smith, formerly editor of the Times Union. That's Barbara Lombardo, formerly executive editor of the Saratogian and the Record in Troy. Ira Fussfeld is here, formerly publisher of the Daily Freeman. These are all these formerlies. And there is Alan Shartok, the current CEO of Northeast Public Radio. Well, I can only say that when my mother would walk down the streets in Fire Island and she came across somebody who she didn't like, she would always say, How'd you do? <laughs> How'd you do, Rex? <laughs> How'd you do? Very nice to. Yes, of course, of course. I haven't heard that story before. Uh, so, <laughs> ask him about the chicken story. Oh dear, not enough time. The chicken oh. ain't for you. Right. All right. Stay uh, with us, readers. Stay with Listeners. us. Stay with us. Listen, we have something important to talk about, and that is actually something that everybody knows the word. If you say steel dossier, people understand what this is about, and that is the 35-page memo that was titled "U.S. Presidential Election: Republican Candidate Donald Trump's Activities in Russia and Compromising Relationships with the Kremlin," published at the beginning of 20. 2017, just before he actually was sworn in, that had allegations of all sorts about Trump corruption. Now it turns out, of course, we have found out that this has been largely discredited by two federal investigations, the indictment of a key source. So the question is whether journalists did wrong by publishing material that was in the Steele dossier, material that was unproven allegations, but allegations that were, in fact, being investigated by the FBI. What do you think about that, Alan? Let's have you start because you have the political context of this as well. Was this malpractice by journalists? No. I mean, what happens is journalists make mistakes. They do all the time. After all, as we say, the first blush of history is always what you read in the newspapers. Sometimes it turns out to be wrong. I mean, what can you do? You can, you as an editor and Barbara as an editor, Ira as an editor, all knew that your job was to make sure that as much as possible, what you were getting from your reporters was true. And sometimes it turns out it wasn't. Yeah, I think the question is not whether we should have covered it. I think clearly we should have covered it. The question is, in my mind, how much coverage it deserved while it remained out there as an unproven set of allegations. You know, I again, I have to say, largely because of the way the information is received by the public, that print newspapers had it in perspective. There might have been a story, maybe even a story every day, but it wasn't necessarily on the front page. But they covered it. On the other hand, the cable news channels, Fox aside, largely covered it wall to wall. Part of the reason for that, we know, is the audience on TV shifts, and so you may 
may miss it. If they report something at 2 o'clock and you're not listening, you'll hear it at 3 o'clock. Problem is, if you're watching all day and you're a shut-in, it seems like they're doing it all the time. So I, I think it should have been covered. I think the question is how much it deserved to be covered. And one last thing here that I wanted to say, and that is that there is a question of motive, right, Ira? It was hard to separate the story from the fact that this was Donald Trump who was being accused, and that got people's attention in the media. Is that what you meant by motive? Yes. Yeah. Ah, Well, no, it wasn't what I meant. What I meant was sometimes when a bad story is written somewhere, somebody is putting the ax in just because they want to get somebody. Yeah. That's a different story. And this may have been just happenstance. I don't know. Oh, boy. Uh. This was a runaway train. And this got all the coverage that it got. And everybody knows the term steel dossier because of the prurient, salacious, titillating so-called news that was in there that really was breaking about a person that most people in the news media rightfully wish wasn't in that position. And this hurt the credibility and continues to hurt, I think, the credibility of the news media. And when you say, Alan, that you know it was the best that we knew at the time, we weren't really covering it. We were repeating it over and over. We weren't overall doing any original reporting. It just took off and got repeated over and over and over and it hurts the credibility of the media. Have you ever gotten anything wrong, Barbara? Oh, yes. I might even be wrong right now. But how? You but are. there's a difference between <laughs> making a mistake and owning up to it. Well, and, yeah, there is. But there was just too much immersive coverage of this. And, and I, I'm making a mistake calling it coverage. Repetition. So how much is too much? I mean, do you really it's, want to quantify it? When it's, yes, when it's unprovable and you keep repeating it because you think you have to, because the other media outlets are reporting it, that's irresponsible. Here's what makes this difficult to deal with, and here's the lesson, I think, for journalists in this, and that is one of the ways that you assess the credibility of something when you're deciding how much coverage to give it is whether there are other points that seem to substantiate the points that a something leads to. We knew, that is, the world knew that Donald Trump had had long curried the favor of Vladimir Putin, knew that despite what he had said, there had been efforts to build a Trump hotel in Moscow, that he had lied about that. Everybody knew the Russians were interfering with the 2016 election, had interfered, notwithstanding the fact that Donald Trump was denying it. So there was a patina of credibility that attached to these allegations, even though the allegations, the prurient stuff, didn't actually have substantiation. Yeah, so, but the prurient part was also not foreign to Trump. There not, certainly had exactly. been allegations prior to this about other matters. Right. Sure. It was believable. Mm-hmm. And if, depending on your feelings about Trump, you wanted to believe it. And then he hired, Trump had hired this guy. Paul Manafort as his campaign chair, who was, in fact, a grave counterintelligence threat, according to a Senate committee, a guy who had really been, in fact, a stooge of the Kremlin. That was Donald Trump's campaign manager. And now, of course, we're looking at it in retrospect, and everything that we think about all of this is, even those of us who are dubious of the credibility of anything that attaches to the name Trump, We all look at this in the light of the terrible behavior by the attorney general at the time who put a false light on the uh, Mueller report. So we're all tainted. And I almost feel guilty bringing this up because the sins of the Trump administration with respect to the Kremlin and the Kremlin's interference in the election are well known. But the fact is the Steele dossier itself was a step too far. And the media carried it a step too far. And so how did we find out? I'm sorry, Rex. You know, I just don't know. Uh, How did we find out this report was not right? Well, it's been thoroughly analyzed. It's in retrospect now. The, The Justice Department investigation went further 
into this in the aftermath of the Trump administration. And now there's been an indictment of one of the key sources for lying to the FBI. So that's how we found out. It has just been carried on further. But it is always difficult in the heat of the moment uh, when you're trying to report something that is ongoing. It's hard to figure out what's credible and what's not. Right. Well, the question is, if there was another Steele dossier about another candidate, would we do anything differently? And I suggest that we would be as careful, perhaps a little bit more careful, but ultimately there would be some reporting on it because it's out there. If the source of the allegations appears to be legitimate, it's hard to simply drop it. And, you know, and then let's advance it a little farther. Let's say six months after you don't do anything about it, it's proven to be true. And you're asked, why didn't you run it? Well, we had it, but we didn't want to run it. Yeah. What do you mean you didn't? want to run it. You should have printed it six months ago. Or we're trying to corroborate it. There's no shame in getting beaten. Well, there's that. It hurts. Not that it doesn't hurt. There's that. This was published initially by BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed editor-in-chief at that time was Ben Smith, who's now the media columnist for the New York Times, wonderful media columnist and a very smart journalist. And he stands by the decision to publish it because he says it was newsworthy. It was a part of the investigation that was underway. And you feel kind of guilty criticizing the media for seemingly being unfair to Donald Trump when Donald Trump lied 30,000 times during his tenure as president. And called the media the enemy of the public. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a terrible issue. But we welcome your thoughts, by the way, folks. If you are listening and you want to share your views on this or any other topic we talk about, media at wamc.org is where you can send your emails, and we'll delve into them in the next show and talk about that issue. So don't hesitate to do that. Particularly if you agree with us. We like that. Yeah. Well, uh, it must be terribly difficult for the three of you, not for so much for There we go. <laughs> uh, it must be terribly difficult to get it wrong. I mean, who wants to eat that? It's not hard for you when you get it wrong? I don't get it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, didn't mean to laugh. But when you get it wrong, it's got to be tough for an editor. Look, you have to make split-second decisions. Sometimes, right, Rex and group, you have to make it in the middle of the night. The phone rings and somebody says, should we go with this or should we? And you know that the benefit of a really good story uh, redounds well to you. Yeah, I mean, a media organization has nothing if it does not have its credibility. And when there when there are mistakes made, large or small, people who are or know that it was a mistake or may have been the subject of the mistake are not going to forgive you and probably shouldn't forgive you, even though we can explain it in many cases. But you're right. It, it hurts when we get something wrong because we don't want to be wrong. We strive, believe it or not, to be 100 percent right. The hardest part, I think, is when you're you're not factually wrong, but when your tone is off. That is, when you imply something. You know, you may have a young reporter who is trying hard to show that she or he is tough and writes a story that is, let's say, a bit harsh about a public official. And, you know, in retrospect, you look back even a day later or a week later and you say, boy, that was a little bit over the top. But what do you do about that at that point? If you've actually just done something that was kind of wrong in the general characterization? How about firing somebody? That might be appropriate in some cases, but I think it's a learning experience for everybody involved. And unfortunately, those come at the expense of the people who might have been wronged in a story. And when those issues would come up, and I have made judgments that, you know, looking back, I could say I regret certain ones, that one of my rules of thumb would be 
if the person involved in the story or their family member came in to talk to me and I had to look at them eye to eye or I ran into them at the supermarket, could I justify my decision? Right. That's interesting. Well, some of that depends on how much sugar you are. I don't mean that. It's a, a technical term. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy for the few who don't know, know it. It's in the Westminster Catechism, which is what I grew up with, yeah. Right. So, so, you know, so I don't know. Um, there are a lot of decisions that go into this. Look, you each ran newspapers, which in some cases were beginning places, and others like Rex's was, a, I think it's fair to say, a middle-range paper. But how much mistake you can tolerate is interesting. And right now, for example, it's very tough for us here at Public Radio with the standards we have to hire well. Just like everybody else is finding, you know, that there's not enough people out there to go around. So if you hire, and one of my rules for hiring is don't hire anybody you may have to fire because firing, <laughs> well, I would, I would firing think is that, hard. Uh, I don't know about radio, but I would think that the uh, number of people who are available to work at newspapers, the digital and print, is significant now because so many people have been put out of work. Isn't there a large job pool out there? Well, there are a lot of people who used to be journalists who are not now, but most of them who have lost their jobs don't want to be doing it anymore. Oh, you know, they've gone on to something that is more remunerative, less tension-inducing. Yeah. What I can tell you, having been away from the newsroom for some months now, is as many of you here might agree, the the absence of the pressure that is presented by a newsroom, it is constant. You're never away from your job in one of these jobs. Right. It's never a time of day when you're not going to be reacting to it, and you always have to drop everything and do it just because of this kind of pressure. If you make a decision that isn't right, you're affecting people's lives. And if you're paying attention and blowing off something, even if it's not something consequential. I remember being at my niece's wedding in Baltimore and getting a phone call that a cut line, a caption under a photograph in the Times Union had misidentified a prominent business leader's wife as that business leader's mother. The business leader was very unhappy. At least it wasn't his lover. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes. But, you know, it said this guy and his mom were present at this event, and I suppose it mattered. It was a major advertiser, and therefore you don't want to unnecessarily tick off somebody like that, I guess. And that's a silly thing, but it was wrong. And there I was in the afternoon that my niece was getting married, my brother was happy, and here I was on the phone desperately trying to deal with this little crisis because we got something wrong. I don't want to seem too anecdotal about this, but we lost a wonderful staff member in Ulster County who we're having a real hard time replacing. Mm -hmm. She was the reporter who was in charge of that area. So that while the theory, Barbara, may be that, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are looking for jobs, we haven't found that to be so because, remember, it's not only trying to find them, but trying to find a good person who can do this work and do it well. And that's not so easy. At what you're paying. At what you're paying. And I must say, I'm pretty proud of the fact that, you know, we've been doing our best to, to break the scale. <laughs> Well, in my journalism class of 18 students, maybe yeah. a third are interested in going to journalism and about a third interested in communication. What does that mean, communication? Uh, PR, normal mm. jobs, could be uh, <laughs> normal, normal jobs. jobs, normal hours, better pay, and I think a third aren't really sure. 
Well, I tell you, Rex, I, I don't know if you were going to bring up this subject that was on our list today, but if, if you have not seen this documentary that has been on PBS called Storm Lake, uh-huh. it's part of the Independent Lens series. It gave me agita, frankly, because I relived my uh, time in the newsroom watching what was going on in the newsroom of this twice-a-week newspaper in Iowa. But I think it's very instructive if the general public would watch it. It's an hour-and-a-half program because it really gives you a flavor of what, journalists, particularly small-town newspaper journalists, have to go through to put out their publications. You get a feel for how important the work is to them, how much real boring work it often is in pounding the street and getting information. And I'd like to think that you'd walk away from that documentary having at least a renewed respect for what it is we do. You know, it's so interesting, if I may, to watch Republicans of all stripes falling behind the Trump model and basically lying about Trump. You find that this is the land of no, nobody's being critical of Trump and the Republican Party because they know the consequences are too great. So I like to think about the newspapers, too. I mean, what happens when you're a newspaper in a really red district and you know something is BS, but you really can't do anything about it? Yeah, I suppose for a local paper that focuses on local news, you can have something of an out because you're not dealing with national issues. But I feel a much sympathy for the local papers that, for example, are covering local school boards because it is sure. in the school boards where you really have the crux of a lot of these arguments these days. And I suspect you can get caught in the vice simply by reporting the facts. And if you try to to hold people to fact when you have local citizens, for example, denouncing the teaching of critical race theory in the schools. And if the reporter then writes in the story, in fact, critical race theory is not taught in the schools in this district, people are going to be really ticked off at you and they're going to be picketing the newspaper offices. Yeah, And most newspapers in this country are still small newspapers for which the issues such as that are back burner issues. They're not unimportant issues, but they're dealing with weddings, little league scores, obituaries, and just just regular stuff. Yeah. And you again, if you watch this documentary, you get a feel for what it is they deal with and, and most importantly, how much they care about what they are doing. Did you say you saw it? Did, did I, you? I saw the first half of yeah. it. Yeah. Do you agree? I, yes. Okay, yes, good. It's, it's well, well worth seeing. And it's a reminder and that for the community journalism, people want to know, are their taxes going up? Is there snow going to get plowed? Is the garbage going to get picked up? That that was more important than mm-hmm. turning to that source for their national issues. It's called Storm it Lake. It's me? about a year in the life of the Storm Lake Times, which is the oldest continuously circulated twice a week paper in the country. Also, the, next to the smallest paper that's ever won a Pulitzer Prize. They won a Pulitzer for editorial. Uh, Storm Lake, North Northwestern Iowa. Part of the documentary shows the period prior to and during the Iowa caucus where the newspaper interviews the key Democrats at that point in time. And it was important, obviously, but I think at one point the editor says that for all of the national attention, that's not what primarily our readers are interested in. They're interested in the local news. Yeah, I'll tell you what's difficult. I was the editor of a little tiny paper, a small daily in northwestern Indiana called the Rensselaer Republican, Rensselaer, Indiana. Same family as Rensselaer County, New York, where I now live. I think you may have mentioned it. I might have mentioned that. And here's the big deal. When the county fair is going on, you want to get a picture of the grand champion pig Mm -hmm. and the reserve champion, preferably. So, you know, the top of the front page has this pig picture. 
Have you ever tried to take a picture of a pig? Let me just explain to you that when you want to get the snout of the pig in the picture, the pig turns it around because he doesn't want to look at you in the face. And so you end up getting the pork butt, so to speak. And that becomes the front page of your newspaper. And you think, is this really the best I can offer my readers now? It reminds me, Rex, of the old folk song where the last line is, and the pig got up and slowly walked away. (laughs) (laughs) They kind of hurl their little uh, tush around and they, they show what they think of the photographer. Well, That's what's important. Alan, when you talked about are there people who want the jobs, I had a uh, a very good guest to my journalism class the other day who is in uh, television news, and he covers statewide issues, and he started with covering local issues and just said to the students, they're important, but it was boring. Huh. It was, it was you mean boring. it was boring before. It was and boring. Now the no, news. the lo- the local news was boring. Yes. The state news was more exciting for someone to cover. While that might be true, I wish that he hadn't said that. And it just shows that when you're young and you're not invested in the communities that you're covering, you have a different take. You don't have a full appreciation of the importance of local yeah, news. That's a bad attitude to bring into the job, that your local news is boring. Well, it, that it was boring for a reporter to have to go to. Well, maybe, but it's, it's not boring tr- to the readers. Well, right. I want to object truth to, to that. Both, but I want to object to what both of you were saying, okay. yeah, if you don't mind terribly. And that is... I think the fact that, you know, you have to almost apologize, you know, for telling them, look, it's going to be hard in the beginning covering things that you might not find all that interesting. Yeah, and I find all of that interesting. If I can make it interesting to people mm-hmm. and why they should care, it is exciting. But it goes on. I mean, if you think that you're going to get away from that and you're in small-town journalism, you're not. I remember several years ago watching the 4th of July parade in Springfield Center in New York, which is in Otsego County. And here was a guy walking backwards, taking pictures, and I realized it was the editor of the uh, Cooperstown paper, the Freeman's Journal. Journal. And it was a guy my age at the time. Your age now or then? Well, he's my age then and now. Anyway, but that is important even if you have the exalted title, I'm the editor of the newspaper, but if you're the editor of the newspaper and the circulation is 2,000, you'd better get Fourth of July Parade and take sure. pictures right, of the But how many year road. after year, time year after to year. cover the yeah. fair again, time yep. to cover the, you know— outing for the scouts. So every yeah. every it's, year there's a different king and queen and there are new people in the old roles but they want new their year, pictures in the same paper. Story. Is there not a responsibility though, even if you're at this little local paper, to deal with some of the big issues, for example localizing the climate crisis? Oh yeah. You know, we live in an era of existential threat. Shouldn't you be writing about that when you write about the flooding of the local creek or the runoff that is causing, well, everybody's lawn is like a sponge these days, shouldn't you be making reference to the climate crisis? Well, that gets you in trouble, of course. (laughs) I think you shouldn't avoid that reality if you are the local news source for these people. You need to connect it to what's going on. Well, what about the politics of the milieu? I mean, if you are in a Trumpian town controlled by red, red, red Republicans, and you use the word climate which is an explosive word for many Republicans. We don't believe in climate. The president of the United States didn't believe in climate change. You could get your behind into real trouble. And that's what you really ought to be doing, though, because the local media uh, studies show has a significantly higher rate of trust in the national media. So it can get you in trouble with your readers. But Well, why does it have, uh, Rexy, why does it have a higher trust, the local? Because maybe they're taking on, you know, the color of the district as uh-huh. opposed to, you know, the New York Times saying, and this guy's a bum, yeah. basically. 
Yeah, but I think that truth-telling responsibility requires you to take advantage of that opportunity. That is so pompous of you, Rex. (laughs) Guy's got three kids. He wants to give them milk. Or the woman has three kids and wants to give them, you know, a a bottle. I did that to protect myself, by the way. And so the whole idea is that politics rules. Whether you say it shouldn't is another story, but it does is my point. I would disagree with that. You would? Yeah. I mean, are you suggesting that uh, your former editors on the panel were running newspapers that were beholden to the No, because you may remember, Barbara, I made it clear that the color of the district is very important. So if you're coming from a really solid red Republican district, how much guts do you have to have to do what Rex has just suggested and be extraordinarily candid? You have to. It's, or if you're yeah. like Barbara's paper, the Saratogian, that is a politically divided community. Exactly. If there ever was one. So that's know. easy. Oh, I see. Yeah. You, you can, see, in other words. But your ownership may not be. Uh... No. So if you're. The whoa, 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 whoa. Did you ever hear from your ownership about stories that you wrote? Yes. Can you tell us a little about that? That would make this an interesting I might have shared this in the past, but in a general way, the now-deceased head of the company that owned us at the time— Well, you're safe. Was uh, you said, I can't libel. I can't libel him. Terrible just said Lombardo. Thing. That paper's got to lose its liberal slant. Ah, that's amazing. Thank goodness that has never happened in my tenure at the Times Union. But I I know that guy you're talking about, and I'm not surprised to hear that he did yeah. that. And, I said what liberal slant? Yeah, and I meant it. Well, I knew him very well as well, perhaps in a different way than you did, because at the publisher level, and he made that judgment based on anecdotal comments he got when he came up to town, particularly for the horse racing season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he would go to a restaurant in town, and he would not identify himself, and he'd say, "What do you think of the local?" paper. And he might run into somebody who said, ah, that's a liberal rag. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that he should have made final decisions based on those anecdotes, but what his point of view was was not made up out of hell cloth. And not necessarily even reading the paper. I I remember uh, that I said to him, where did you hear that? And he named a restaurant. And I said, you should have gone to the one next door. You would have heard the opposite. (laughs) I worked for that same guy when I was the editor of The Record in Troy in the early 90s. And I remember Mm. he looked at the demographic data, which showed that our highest demographic was East Greenbush. Now, if you all know East Greenbush in Rensselaer County, it's a nice suburban community, but it's not the high demographic area. But I remember him telling me, we're taking this paper down, market, down, down. They're not going to like you at your family. Fancy cocktail parties in East Greenbush. Now I remember thinking, this guy knows nothing about our community if he thinks there are fancy cocktail parties in East yeah, Greenbush. Yeah, he, in his view, <laughs> the streets of Saratoga were paved with gold. That yeah. was a famous saying of his. Now, I would say one thing on his behalf. When it came to cost-cutting and the sort of things that other newspaper companies eventually came around to doing, he was ahead of his time. <laughs> <laughs> Very, that's and a I, good one. And I actually Very almost good. mean that as a compliment. He's, oh, he saw it, wait a minute. He, he saw it coming, and he started doing it before uh, others saw it coming and started doing it. This could be a whole topic about corporate ownership. Corporate and... ownership. We shall get to that at some point. Yeah, right. Uh, meanwhile, we have to sign off from this wonderful uh, oh, no, public no. radio station. Yes, absolutely. Alan Shartok, Ira Fussfeld, Barbara Lombardo, and I'm Rex Smith with thanks to our wonderful producer, David Gustina, and our wonderful listeners, you folks for joining us this week on The Media Project. That was so fast.
When they know they've got a people's fight to wage. Tingling-ling, newspaper guild. Got a free new world to build. Meet the people, that's a thrill. All together fits the bill. Oh, newspaper men are such interesting people. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is editor-at-large of the Times Union. Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Tingling-a-ling, circulation, tingling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.